and it'll pop. Yeah, all right, we're recording now. Yeah, good. Live, excellent. Take us in. Take us in. What What were you playing uh, there, Michael? Give us some intro. Oh, let's some, let's start uh, us out nice like, and easy uh, on this uh, Saturday morning. What is that? Nothing. Just Aww. just progression. But uh, that you know, I don't think that you want much more than like a little sting. You know, uh, if podcasts I have, have, you know, they can't have like full theme songs. You know, you don't want uh, uh, Cheers or a Mike Post and Pete Carpenter type theme song. I think you just you know, in and out, five, eight, ten seconds, something oh, like yeah. that. Producer Jack Kerouac has joined us this morning. Most likely because he wants his breakfast. Oh, he left. He's already left. His work here is done. Yep. Good. Okay. I have to confess, I had a little bit of a ADHD um, mania moment, purchasing mania moment yesterday. Um. I am very focused on gut microbiome health diversity. Mm-hmm. This. And so uh, I try and uh, get a lot of fermented foods into our bodies, a uh, variety of fruit and vegetable. But a really good way of getting the variety in is to preserve and ferment the fruit and veg. Um, so I did go to, I like to call it Dili and Camille, but I think it's Dia and Camille. Um, Dilla. Dilla. Lovely shop. Yes. And I bought some jars. We have more jars coming this morning from Amazon. And I bought way too many vegetables that I could ever process last night, but I'll get it done uh, today. And then also I bought some more milk and cream for yogurt and then left the milk and cream out all night last night. Welcome to the world of ADHD. I think it'll probably still be okay. I put it in the fridge. Well, they're sealed, right? <laughs> yes, Michael. No, I, I'm saying the containers hadn't been opened. Well, that doesn't Can, matter. It's still going to spoil. No. It won't. It'll be fine. It's not going to spoil that amount. Besides, yogurt's kind of spoiled anyway. Sort of a controlled spoilage. You know? Well, you have very interesting ideas about what you consider to be spoiled. <clears throat> uh, you, you really um, go on the edge there. It's like, I, I'm going to find out if this is spoiled or not after I eat it. That's how Michael finds out if something's spoiled. Let's give this a try. Let's I think live it's not a bad edge. idea for people to, uh, you know, have a tiny bit of food poisoning or some some questionable food, something slightly past their prime, uh, past its prime, uh, every once in a while. Um, we're slightly past our prime. Yeah, we're way past our prime. You know, what was uh, our prime? Diarrhea keeps you honest. Honestly, I mean, if you want to be taken down a peg. It's like once you're, you know, if the very real possibility that there could be shit in your pants of your own, you know, acts, uh, that's that, you know, 
and now of course you don't want to be you sort of constrained you can't leave the house etc and and that that can't happen but um but no that's a diarrhea is a study in uh, humility and uh yeah i think it's important for people to feel humble every once in a while i feel like i'm in my prime now in terms of i know who i am my self-confidence Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling relaxed as much as I could ever feel relaxed in my own skin. Mentally, I was in my prime, I would say, in my early 30s. And physically, I was in my prime, probably around age 20. How about you? I don't, I don't think I have a prime. Which prime but, is the most important? Uh, I think well, the prime of feeling good about yourself is the most important. Well, also on the you know mental prime, and we've talked about <laughs> variations of this before, I think. But um, you know, there, there's the idea of um, how mentally you know quick one might be, uh, and also the amount of time that one can you know devote to uh, some sort of intellectual process. Um, but there's also the experience. So if the mental faculties are possibly declining or maybe you can't work as long as and or as hard as you used to um you might still have experience that you can leverage right, so, so you hopefully don't need to. yeah but because you, know you know some stuff but still what whatever the you know rates of change of those curves are probably still going to favor uh the idea of decline over time but yeah hopefully the experience can help you a bit you say, oh, yeah, this is like that time at band camp or whatever. No, that's different. But um, I was just hearing, and it, obviously it's just a, kind of a paraphrased gloss, um, but that um, one of the uh, principles, I suppose, of uh, which one was it? Vinyana Buddhism, I think, maybe. But uh, but just the idea of kind of a pure experience as opposed to an experience that's, you know, within the context of our past experiences. So, you know, the, the ability to um, not say... Oh, that is this thing, this pre-existing, you know, compartment or uh, contextualization that I have for experiencing and understanding the world. That's what I'm seeing now, as opposed to being category-free and just experiencing something. Anyway, but the what I was just saying about you know leveraging one's uh, past experiences and applications of, you know, certain problem solving techniques or, um, that I, I don't think would play into that particular concept of Buddhism where it should just be a pure experience. I'm, I'm no expert. This is just, uh, something that somebody was talking about. What are you an expert in? Nothing. We've talked about this before. I'm a, you know, not even a, jack of all trades but i have an interest in a lot of trades and i have mastery over none of them of Certainly all the things of all the trades of all the things you do 
know about what do you think that you know the most about oh no 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 i am so sorry i asked that question because i already no. know the answer as soon as i opened no, my mouth right. and we in the answer would be star wars and we're just going to move on as quickly as possible i'm curious about a lot of things mm-hmm. and uh also to pick up on that idea uh, oh no we're no, not no, gonna no, pick up on no no just okay. pick up on that idea of you know uh pure um unadulterated experience versus experience based on one's uh past experiences um i do like to see parallels so like you know if i find out a little bit about some particular topic and you know recognizing that whole uh, a little knowledge is is the dangerous thing um but if I'm new to it, like maybe a language or something, it'll be like, oh, this is kind of like this, you know, grammatical structure or this vocabulary in another language. Uh, so seeing those similarities, those parallels, I also find uh, interesting aside from just the new topic itself. So I find interest in the new topic and in the new topic as it relates to older topics that I might already have some knowledge of. If an example? Yeah, well, it's just like the, the language thing I was just saying there. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, in the sciences often, they, they do, um, you know, you have similar uh, ideas. Um, what are the examples they use? Okay, so like, yeah, we don't want to get into this. The, the, the examples aren't that exciting. I'm, I'm sure that uh, anybody who's not listening uh, can, can understand what I'm talking about. When I think about your brain, like if I were to crack open the top of your skull and look into your brain, I always imagine something like thousands and thousands and thousands of little index cards with notes written on them on a bunch of different topics. And it would be really fun to just sort of go through all of the index cards and pick out any variety of subjects that Michael knows something about. When I think about doing the same in my brain, the first image that comes to mind is opening up a shoebox and the only thing that's in it is the paper that they stuff inside the shoes to help it keep its form. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Why do they do that? Is, to is help it them so keep their important form. that it keeps its form in what's probably a relatively short that amount box, of time. Well, and plus the box is pretty stiff, so. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, maybe it helps a little. Yeah, I think so. It's nice. You would think that it would depend a lot. Like, do they do it with um, sneakers? Well, when you have, the, like, the really nice shoes, like your nice Italian shoes that you got, that I, of course, I made you buy them many, many years ago. They have the nice rigid yeah and you get it's the rigid it's not just yeah. some paper that they shoved in there right because i mean that really if you have you know soft-sided uh leather shoes that you know those they're not going to have the same sort of uh, support so the materials themselves um don't react the same way as um the modern materials that you have in the structure of a gym shoe i think so do they put the paper stuffings in gym shoes? I'll bet they don't. Sometimes I think they oh, do. Oh, do they? Okay. Um, Last pair of gym this, shoes. This I is got, something I, got I have got to, to work on. Mm-hmm. I went into town 
we live just outside of the center of Amsterdam to pick up a prescription. And then I have the idea in my head, oh, I need to get some more jars because I'm going to do this fermentation thing. And it's very hard for me to run an errand in the center of Amsterdam and not come home having spent some money because it's all mm. just so fun and distracting. And you, I, I have got to start controlling those impulses. Now, I, I didn't, and I had the conversation I had with myself was you don't need to do this today, Beth. You don't need to do this today. And the you know, tap, tap, we'll see. Calm, just wait, wait on the impulse. Don't act on it. I failed yesterday. Um, and so I did go to Dili and Camille. And then right next door or right up the street from the Dili and Camille, where I uh, parked, so I drove into town, was a Tvedehand shop, a secondhand shop, women's clothing. Mm-hmm. And it looked really cute. And I went in there and everything was very nicely curated. And the ladies who worked in there complimented the shoes I was wearing. And you know how they get you. Oh, I love what you're wearing. Oh. Um, so I bought um, a, two sweaters and a scarf, like a fake airman scarf. And the sweater that I'm wearing now was one of the sweaters. I was chilly upstairs when I put on my sweater. And now I'm hot i'm overheated Mm -hmm. (laughs) regulating my body temperature has always been a challenge for me but i'm going to ask you this question what color do you think the sweater is and Uh, i want you to you know put your your j crew color wheel uh, hat on that's but just there must have been i mean what would you call this pink but this no 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 just just answer the question quickly because i'm getting to a point well i'm gonna go uh yeah, what I was just uh, alluding to. So I I don't know if I've ever seen that pink. I'm going to experience that pink like nothing else. It's a difficult color to um, describe. I think it's very beautiful. I'm sure that there's a flower out there somewhere that that's this exact color. Mm-hmm. But one might think sort of a peachy pink. One maybe somebody would say a light coral. Or I was going to say I I think coral because there's definitely that idea so i think of peaches as sort of orange, orange. yeah more than anything. and i i do think that there's some i assume that uh, coral has some orange element in it so that's definitely what i'm thinking i would not call that for example a uh fuchsia no um, it's a lighter color or, anyway what are those little mm, those are cascading anyway. flowers that have strange shape that's a fuchsia that is a fuchsia mm-hmm. okay. all right anyway yes yeah i've seen azaleas that are maybe close to this yes the point that i'm getting to is if you had presented this color to someone let's say 50 years ago who'd seen some stuff Mm -hmm. they never would have said oh that's coral or that's salmon right see where i'm going with this because salmon before it was farmed was a deep deep salmon color more orange deep orange than pink color coral was vibrant deep rich color no one would ever think that something that was this pale okay. shade of whatever it is would be coral well there's all kinds of coral colors salmon. right i mean you know underwater coral colors but salmon. i think the only time that word is applied to color it's 
Yeah, with with a, a slightly orange tinged pink, I think. Maybe there's a, a starburst color. It reminds me of like a dessert or candy or a pavlova when you you know you mix in the raspberry mm-hmm. swirl with the meringue and maybe it it ends up this color. Okay, but probably not. Hmm. Uh, getting this right or maybe it's you know an urban legend or a bad uh what's it called etymological um but uh don't we get the the color orange i think we were calling the thing an orange because it was orange no i think it's the other way around it's i think it's you think call the color orange because it's the color of that thing that we call an orange okay that might be nonsense, but I've heard such things. Who's at war right now? So Ukraine, Nobody. Ukraine and Russia, no, a military there's... conflict. Okay. Yeah, it's always military Please, conflict. let's just get there's to my no point. Wars. Yes. So Ukraine. <laughs> the point is you're using language. So... Ukraine. Okay. Go yes. ahead. Get it out. No, I'm just Get out of your system. That... Please correct me. Let's, let's make this more precise. Nations don't declare war anymore, apparently. Anyway, but yes, there, if by war we mean people are dying, you know, systematic military actions that Active are... Active aggression, uh, military conflict. Resulting in... Uh, involving weapons casualties that are being and paid for by casualties. America. Okay. Yeah, th- that's... Yes. All right, so uh, Ukraine and Russia, Azerbaijan and Armenia, which is... Really, well, really alarming. There's not active military actions, but yeah, it's a uh, bad. Yes. Um, let's just let's just say deep conflict in general, whether it's military strife, or strife. So tremendous strife in South America. There's a lot of the strife in Yemen. Is four hundred thousand folks that uh, mm-hmm. crossed over. Yes, and apparently. France is fighting a battle on three different fronts right now. There's a couple of battles that uh, I've seen France uh, in the uh, in the news. France has declared declared war. Apparently, according to the news outlets that we follow during our morning news cycle, France is one declared, of which is actually a French company. Yeah, Euronews. Yes, France has declared war on the following. Abayas. Well, that's weeks ago. Right? Well, I mean, years ago, depending on. But yes, but the, now the, it's the final. So the yes, full facial covering final solution, if you will, uh, for conservative Abayas, yes. Muslim women dress. France has declared war on what bullying. Was, on bullying. Yeah, France have, has declared war on bullying. Bullying, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those things are mostly in school, by the way. So yeah. You know, the question of the headscarf in school, then you're into a, you know, disruptive, non-uniform context versus walking around with a headscarf in public and or covering one's face, face. in public. Yeah. I think those are separate issues, uh, but uh, they seem to have the same response. Currently. And the third thing that France has declared war on <clears throat> is? Bed bugs. Bed bugs. Well, they got the Olympics coming up. They gotta clear out those bed bugs. Yeah. No time like the present. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, they're, they're concerned that uh, you know bed bugs are going to travel and 
people's luggage so the people could bring them to the hotel. So they have to make sure that they're de-bedbugged to begin with. But, you know, I think the only way to have the, you know, it's got to be a long-term commitment. It can't be just calling the exterminator once a year or once every six months. Probably going to have to be. I didn't think of it that way. Checking the mattress. Do you think this is some sort day. of nationalism, like casual racism? We got to make sure those filthy foreigners coming into our beautiful wow. Vive la France is, aren't bringing in some bed bugs. I mean, they they've acknowledged their domestic bed bug problem to begin with. Probably also because Paris is the number one most popular tourist destination in the world. I think, I think um, Dubai is right up there too. But I can guarantee you that Dubai does not have a bed bug problem. <laughs> But, of course, they could also cast it in terms of, look, we don't want to you know, uh, foist our problems on travelers as well. So if you go to Paris and you're bed bug free and then you pick up the bed bugs, yeah, then you're going to take them back home. So now you've got, uh, you know, pretty soon we're going to have to have lockdowns and uh, mattress vaccinations. But, you know, whatever works. Mattress vaccinations. So to speak. Mm. Um, EU once again yes failed to do anything <laughs> it was Poland and Hungary this time that well, this is the rejected the uh, immigration the or the migration proposal, yeah. probably because Poland's already taken in two million Ukrainian refugees. Uh, yeah, well, it's the kind of strange structure, you know. So the European Commission gets to do, you know, large assembly parliamentary stuff essentially, but uh, the idea that you have the European Commission, which is going to have veto power you know so that's each of the 27 uh it's like if you had um sort of like if you had a council of governors in the united states if all 50 governors could get together and veto each of them had veto power with respect to federal legislation that's sort of what you have uh, in the eu um but of course, you know, a collection of governors in the United States, there's no formal means by which they could exercise power. But you do have that with the uh, with the European Council. Um, and naturally, of course, with the EU, they're also always talking about more nations joining. And, uh, you know, that's part of the design, of course, is to have a large enough block where it's, you know, more meaningful. So... There are plenty of folks in the European Union who would rather have 37 nations than 27, for example. Uh, but then the statistical likelihood of the veto being exercised becomes much greater. So it's, you know, will they change the design of the, the commission uh, if they have, you know, 40 nations? I don't know. Wait, so... So, yeah, but so I said the European Union, but I meant to say European Commission, didn't I? Well, the, the commission is one of the, uh, the... So the commission is the heads of state of each of the member nations. But the point is that, that each of those, you know, heads of state can exercise veto power 
it's, it's sorry. I'm, I got us off on the wrong track. That, that's the council, not the commission. Uh, so it's the, the council is, is what the, um, is what each of the member nations uh, sit on. The commission is indeed the uh, international body. The council is international <laughs> as well, but the point is that each of the member states can act uh, in their own interest, uh, so to speak. So it's the difference between, <laughs> if we go back to when we were paying more attention to this stuff, the difference between um, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker and uh, Donald Tusk. That's commission versus council. Uh, who's uh, is it? Uh, Michelle that's now head of the council. I think so. so. It's, yeah. So it's von der Leyen versus Michelle. Who uh, you know, always when he's on camera speaks in French. Yeah. It's like those days are over, buddy. Come on, <sighs> give it up. <laughs> I'm still trying to find. So I'm still trying to find the name of that fabric. I was trying to think about. I was trying to remember the name of it. Yesterday, I have to stop saying yesterday. That, um, that um, it starts with a T. So, what's going to happen once we get more than F1. one one listener is yeah, when they hear us not being able to think of things and they know the answer, they're going to be screaming at their radios. And I always feel like at this point, I need to go back and sure. try and look up the name of things or people that I can't remember while I am wanting to talk about Well, that's that. what the comment section is for. Leave your comments, like, subscribe, hit that bell notification. Bell, hit that bell icon. Anyway. Notifications. This, uh, this coral salmon sweater, secondhand sweater that yep. I bought is from Zara. Okay. It looks pretty old, actually, because the, the tag is a bit faded. But it was made in Turkey, so I'm comfortable with this. It was made four hour flight away from us. It's secondhand. It is itchy though. And now I'm too hot. So I'm itchy and hot. I'm very uncomfortable. And I really need a shirt made from that fiber that I can't think of what it's called. This is a a newer fabric? Well, no, it it's not newer. It's um it's made from it the fiber, I think it's a, a byproduct or it's a grass. And it's very soft. I think a lot of it is grown in Africa. Hmm. Uh, so how can I find this soft? You're good at looking up things. I don't know anything about fabric. Sustainable story. fabric. Egyptian cotton. No. That's what uh, people like. Um, I like the high tech fabrics. I like your. I like your breathable fabrics. I like all your Hallie Hansen stuff. Um. Anything that comes to us from uh, boating or outdoor gear, that's pretty cool fabrics. Um, Stop saying organic cotton, linen, bamboo, and hemp over and over. Tensel. Oh, thank the Lord. Tensel? Tensel. How is that spelled? T-E-N-C-E-L. Oh. So my friend Meryl, who was starting a business... Um, for people who have eczema was making shirts made out of tensil. And I was always saying to her, these shirts are so soft. You should market these yep. to people with ADHD because we're so <laughs> sensitive. 
And is um, that like a trade name or something? Is is it one of those things where the exact same, you know, material is no, marketed under I a different name? I think it's the name of the crop. Okay. Um, what is tensile? Soft, sustainable fabric. Oh, okay. Well, what is this? I don't. The, yeah, I don't know what this. I've never heard of this URL, but made by Austrian company Lenzig. Tensile is a natural fiber made from wood pulp, most commonly from eucalyptus, but also beech, birch, and spruce trees. It's known for its gentle texture and super soft feel, and I can attest that it is gentle and super soft. Um, exquisitely soft fabrics glide across the skin, making it ideal for thermal layers to outerwear. It's become increasingly popular, even starting to appear in some high street fashion outlets. So I have a couple of Merrill's tensile long sleeve shirts and I should be wearing one underneath this itchy sweater then I'll be like super happy um, it's made through a sustainable process it breaks down wood and cellulose of sustainably harvested eucalyptus trees these trees grow without pesticides fertilizers or irrigation isn't that nice yeah yeah what's the water footprint on bringing a, a square meter yeah, of tensile to market I, I have no idea I, I don't but I you know, the water 99% of it can be crops. recovered and reused, making it incredibly sustainable. It requires a lot less energy and water to make compared to materials like conventional cotton. As a plant-derived fiber, it's also biodegradable. But, of course, a lot of this stuff has elastic in it. Anyway, I'm going to start wearing more tensile fabrics. Good. Yeah, so, of course, it can be less sustainable if it's blended with anything... Um, that's not sustainable. Um, yeah, which is probably mostly how it's used. Mm. Right. So, okay. So tensile is trademarked. There we go. Okay. So tensile refers to some chain of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fabrics. Are anyway, we were talking about uh, if the EU and the EC would be better off if its inclusion policies were more akin to Eurovision. Yes, because uh, Eurovision, of course, is also um, a very, uh, well, it it is a tradition at this point. Um, And uh, yes, the application process uh, and the participation in Eurovision is very different than being in the European Union. Um, I don't know quite how they decide that, but uh, there are certainly more nations participating in Eurovision than there are in the, the EU. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've all become musically enriched uh, because of it. And the one song from Eurovision that always sticks out in our mind Maybe the only song that sticks out in your mind. I've got a couple of these, but uh-huh. through no fault of my own. But it's from a few years ago, the Belarus song. And oh, it yeah. just went, I love Belarus. Eh, 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 eh. <laughs> that was it. Well, that's just the chorus. Well, nobody uh, ever but... remembers anything other than the chorus. Yeah. Um, it's tough to write the memorable Eurovision song because uh, so many of them well, they are very forgettable, but you know, obviously, you have your Bucks Fizz, uh, you, you have your ABBA, um, and uh, I forget the name of the group who, because you remember in uh, Fire Saga, um, 
Yaya Ding Dong is mm-hmm. what they always want to hear. But Yaya Ding Dong, I think they're pretty much uh, referencing an actual Dutch entry, which might have won. Uh, th- there is something with like Ding a Dong or something from the uh, early 70s for the Dutchies. I was checking out the Netflix special on David Beckham. Mm hmm. And I didn't know his back any details about his backstory origin story, but it does seem like the character of Jamie Tart um, from Ted Lasso is closely inspired by David Beckham's career, except for his little his uh, head thing. That that's Grealish, right? His head thing. Yeah, it doesn't. Jamie wears one of those little like headband hair yeah, tie but, things. Um, at some That's, point, David did too. Yeah, but but Grealish in the modern era. Well, I think it's mostly based on David Beckham. Plus the head thing. Yes. I uh, am finally beginning to line up my appointments with the people who this for whom this podcast was created which are the women that I find interesting and inspiring. And I have to say, I'm a little nervous. I'm nervous. Why? Because this is easy. This is just you and me talking like we would every morning anyway. Uh, But these women are special to me, and I want to do a good job. I want to do an excellent job. So how well do you know some of these women can you approach this more conversationally or is it more like a formal interview no no it's always going to be conversational and it's going to be long form so if it goes three hours it goes three hours not that i have i don't really have the time to talk to somebody for three hours but you know it's going to be i think each conversation should i should try and make it at least an hour and but it's you'll be presumably have some outline where you want to take i'll have a the loose outline yes okay I will have a loose outline, but I, I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. Which is not like we do it, of course. So we have to practice making sure that the audio quality is very, very excellent when I am having these conversations with somebody digitally. Because not all of them, probably most of them won't be here in person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, the, you know. We live in an era of Zoom recordings. Yeah, but they always sound—they always sound so bad. Um, so I, ours need to sound. Yeah, really but good. they put that stuff on TV. There's some. There's some software. There's some tooling that can make you know, Zoom calls, Teams calls, Google Talks calls, sound better. Meet. Mm-hmm. Used to be Hangouts. Yep. Sure. Maybe they still have Hangouts. Nope. Google tends to drop things. They do, and no one cares. No one notices. No one calls it a failure. Excuse me. No alphabet. one mocks them for it. They just I, go away. I call them. I need to call them alphabet. Oh, they're experiments. We were just experimenting. Yes. I wish um, I was afforded that that luxury. <laughs> they still have their phone. Who? Yes, it's called Android. No, that's not. Oh, really Amazon their phone. No. Uh, no, I thought Google was uh, coming out with a hardware version too. Uh, oh. You know, an actual. Um, well, Google, no, Michael. Um, okay, so I have a lot of um, vegetables that need to be uh, 
Yeah, what's the process here? Do you need <laughs> the old school like uh, mason jar? Is it the the lid with the little metal? No, it's not insert? canning and it's not pickling. It's fermenting. So the process is really simple. The way I do it is I cut up all the vegetables in medium sized chunks because I want it to look pretty and the texture, you mm-hmm. know, is, is important. And um, and then you. What I like to do is mix, people do it differently, but I like to mix up the vegetables with uh, salt, the salt, because you need the salt. And I like to use very high quality salt. So I use all organic vegetables. And then the salt is hand harvested salt from south of France. And uh, well, no, it's just, it's it's about, you know, it's so simple that you want to use the best ingredients. You want to... That the, the texture of this salt is so lovely. Right. And but then, the salt goes in a solution, though? Well, you can do it in a solution, but what I like to do is massage the salt into the vegetables first because it sort of breaks the vegetables down and it's extracting the water already from the vegetables. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that the bacteria that's growing doesn't like oxygen, so you want to get as little air into the jar as possible. So... If the vegetables are starting to break down a little bit from the salt, you can smush them more, but not smush them so much that they're sort of, they become mushy. Is there liquid in the jar? Yeah, yeah. So then you get the vegetables in there, you pack them and pack them, and then you fill the jar with just enough water so that it just covers the top of the vegetables, and you smush them and smush them some more, and I like to watch to see if I can get the air bubbles out, and then you take... Uh, like a, a spinach or a kale leaf and you put it on top and you smush it down some more and uh, and then you put the uh, the top on and then in a couple of days you start to see the bubbles as the bacteria is in the microbes are eating I should say the microorganisms are eating the sugars in the vegetables and then you get fermentation. How long does this process take? It um, so it starts to work within a couple of days and you can keep it going until, you know, to taste. So I can tolerate a pretty high level of tartness. Um, and then I think, you know, if you can, then you have even more micro organisms in the fermented vegetable. And then you can, when you're done, you can put it in the fridge and that slows the process down and then they can stay in there for a long time. Okay. So you do have to refrigerate them after some period of time. I think so. Or eventually the, the jar will, you know explode if you open it so do you have to uh burp them you can yeah like a kombucha Um, okay it's kombuchas and do you have to do that with sourdough starters also um no because you want to use once that sourdough starter is really again i'm no expert michael says but the way i do it is you want to once you've started to feed and refeed your sour sourdough starter once it starts to really get active then you want to use it right away so there's okay. no, okay, you know, gas releasing necessary mm-hmm. in the jar. Um, my sourdough starter is three years old, and it's in the fridge. And every time I get it going again, it it wakes back up. So, so fridge, not freezer. Mm-hmm. You okay. can freeze sourdough starter too. You can't. Okay. These microorganisms are amazing. Amazing. Okay, so just a full confessional so you know what's coming today. Oh, I have some mason jars coming, and then if we've also been... They are mason jars. 
they well, have like multi-part I, lids? No, Michael, they're just okay. they're just jars. I just said that generic. Okay. <laughs> well, can um, we make some moonshine too? Like that's what you put in jars. Sure, you can ferment some berries, Michael, and have some moonshine. That'll be great for your liver. Here I am trying to ferment all these foods so that we can have a healthy bloodstream, healthy gut oh, microbiome, nice. and you just want to you know, poison your liver with rock gut. If no. I'm going to make yeah sort of rotted food at home no you're then not, i would rather not make, gonna make moonshine. Hooch. yeah uh however i um i will be making i will be making and chronicling and labeling single bacterial strains as much as i can in my yogurts so uh in order to do this i i want to have more than one yogurts being f- made and fermented at once so i bought uh sous vide actually i bought two i bought two sous vide machines they were they were they're cheap Mm -hmm. i'm sure you get what you pay for that's coming um wait so you're gonna stick your yogurt in uh sealed plastic bags no no you don't have to do that so it's just the sous vide machine all it does is heat up the water and because you yeah and modern no no but you can still do it in like a regular jar um, it's just this, the point of the sous vide is that you can just take, you know, a pot and put yeah, the sous vide in it. Yeah, but aren't those machines typically very shallow, the water bath? Um, typically, yeah, but this doesn't have to be Okay, shallow, I'm just saying so. that's not a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but the point is is that it regulates the temperature of the water. Very sure, precisely. better than an instant pot. Or yeah. a stovetop, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I don't think better than the instant pot. Hey, don't you say anything bad about that instant pot. Our life is been cha- transformed because of that Instapot. I, I, I like Instapot I love quite Instapot. a deal. What a great quite piece a, of kit. I think that every graduate who gets their first apartment, the very first thing that they should get or be gifted is an Instapot. Ooh, I just said a word that I hate. Gifted? gifted. I, I was gifted. Oh, uh, don't say that. So okay, the, here, here you don't words, like the verb. Version. Here are words that are not necessarily banned because I can't imagine that they're going to be, they're not overused, but they're misused. Right. Really hate it when people say gifted or gifting. I just hate that word. Gifting. Gift. Yeah. The other thing that I really, really can't stand is when, and everybody does it now, no one ever says the word house. Everybody says the word home. These homes are for sale. My home. In my home. No, it's your house. Home is like a concept. It feels very bougie to me. (laughs) Just say it's your house. Get over yourself. My home. Well, it's a realtor thing. It's your yeah. Well, see the thing it used to be, and I and, and 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 I am forever grateful to Remax. Fran Leibowitz. Dresher. She was the one that pointed this out. That in the 70s, anybody who said home, yeah, it was like it's cheesy, you know, realtor marketing right. word. And now everybody says home. I want to know how that happened. Yes, but it's my home. Just just please just say it's your house. Just can you just say it's your house? Because it's almost like inviting you to say, well, what do you, how did you make your house a home? I don't care. I don't want to have that conversation with anyone we've had that concept for a long time right? making the house Homes. a home versus yeah 
But actually, now that I think about it, the... Um, I mean, do builders build homes? Does no one even say the word house anymore? As far as the realtor is concerned, the, the builder is building homes for sure. Because it ain't a home until I get my commission. Well, Somebody's got to be house. in there. Oh, excuse me. We live in, we don't, we live in a home boat. We don't <laughs> live in a houseboat. Like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, we live in a I'm going to start calling it my home boat from now on. Please, so welcome to my home boat. song, is it Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Dora Young? That should actually be like our home, right? Because it's a very, the one that's a very, very, very fine home. Michael, that's like madness. No, that's, that, oh. that is our house. Oh, our, but that should our also home be. in the middle of the street. Yeah, but home. no, but what's the very, very, very fine home? Yeah, very, very, very. That's but I'm saying song. that should be a home also it because it, what they're mm-hmm. trying to paint a picture, right? But that's some hippie stuff. Yeah. Oh, well. Our home. It is it Crosby Stills Nash? It street, is. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's Suggs. Doesn't work. See, but if they were writing that song today, that's that's what the lyric would be. Well, but that one's a little snarkier, song. right? No, I mean, that's what I love about it. It's not snarky at all. It's a it's a lovely, pure, authentic song. I think that's how I always interpreted it. Well, th- it there is a, a notion of family in there, and I suppose that part of it's. Uh, loving but it's it's not the sort of um, hallmark greeting card type family that one would think of right I don't see how there's anything at all cynical or in this song I think it's it's just no, I, I, I don't a, think it's, it's cynical I'm, to the, the house that, that madness grew up in but it is an unusual house by you know kind of middle class or a yeah, bourgeois standard. it's just, standard. you know, the house in the middle of the, the terraced houses. Yes. Brother's got a date to keep. He can't hang around. Right. Um, <laughs> sister's sighing in her sleep. Oh, oh I love this song. Um, I mean, unless, yeah. I mean, boy, if if they're, if they're really condemning, you know, the, the, the I, working no, I, class... Terrorist house lifestyle. Then no, this is I a, don't. A real stretch. Think being with their background, I don't think that they could be. Um, I'm just saying they, they've, you know, sort of twisted what we would think of as the, um, you know, desirable. Uh, that this is the the sort of home that I want to raise my family in. I think they've said, you know, ours ain't the the greeting card version, but but we love it and isn't it all the better for it um yeah that is an old song love that song but we're old um now you just okay now we should probably wrap this up because now i'm thinking of alice and chain songs i don't know why i jumped from madness to alice, alice and chains Chain. i don't know why my brain went there I don't know if they have any oh, songs about Now I have house. to listen to this song. One of the best songs. Oh, God, I love this song. What do you think is my favorite Alice in Chains song? Uh, is it Man in the Box? No, it's Rooster. Rooster, um, I don't know, Rooster. So I only found out a couple of years ago that Rooster is about uh, Lane's father's experience in Vietnam. 
This is Lane Staley. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Uh, Lane's father's experience in Vietnam. All right. Rooster. And what is it? Well, I'll look it up later. You don't want to talk about and or commit uh, copyright infringement. No. Well, now that I read the third, what is the third? No, I guess there's only, yeah, there's only two verses. I read the set, the, the second verse is, um, obviously about Vietnam. Um, yeah, now we have to go. Hey, do you, um, can you, can you take us out with, um, some Alice in Chains? <laughs> I think I need a downturn, right? Or just something yeah. Alice in Chains-esque. And hurry up because we have to hit the we have to stop recording so I can listen to this song and not get into trouble. Uh, no, I don't know any else, James. Um, All right, then play um, play a Jeremy or something Jeremy asked. Okay, Chat GP Meeks. Chat GP Meeks. Play. Yes. Play some. Play some. Play a melody. In the style of Pearl Jam, circa 1992. Uh, okay, so I will, uh, in my different tuning, I think I will play possibly the fingerings. Uh, wait, what are their songs? Dead Air Makes. There you have it. All right. Uh-oh. All right. Very good. I've got uh, vegetables to ferment. Anyway. See you later. Yep. <laughs>